If you'd been eavesdropping at our house during Thanksgiving when the boys were in, uh, you would have heard these words. I need your list. That's like my uh, November war cry. Give me those lists. I'm ready to go shopping and I don't know what you want. Give me those lists. Uh, Things have changed a lot now. Uh, I'm, I'm a list guy. Uh, at work too, I can make a list, I can just get stuff done all day long, uh, projects around the house, I make lists, uh, I go shopping, I want a list, uh, uh, and if I go shopping for you, I want a list. Uh, things have changed a lot. Uh, Erica Jr., what are y'all using at your family right now? What, what list app? Gifster. Okay, so the world's changed now because there's a million apps out there, maybe your family's using one of these, I don't know if y'all are or not. Uh, but we've got what, Giftster, Giftly, Giftful, Elfster, uh, Christmas List Pro. Uh, you, can, you can do a Google search and you can find, you know, there's a, there's a half a dozen apps that'll pop up really quick. And you send the, a link out and everybody downloads that. Everybody puts their wish list in and links what they want, you know, and, and it syncs the list and everybody in the family can check off stuff as they buy it. It's almost like bridal registry is what it feels like to me, but uh, that's kind of the modern way of doing it. Uh, at, at our place, um, because Susan and I are getting so old now, we're at a different stage of life for sure. And uh, uh, in our family, we tell everybody, make a list of what you want. Uh, and our tradition may be different from yours, and I'm not pushing my thing on you, but when we get together at Thanksgiving, that's pre-Christmas is what it is. And so when we get together at Thanksgiving, I want your list in my hand by Thanksgiving, and when you come into town for a couple of days, we are going shopping. Uh, and now you guys, I'm, I'm, I know a bunch of you are going to turn me off right here. We may go out Black Friday at midnight shopping. Uh, several times we've pulled all-nighters at the Herald House. Uh, we went out all night shopping, uh, swung by the donut store if they were coming off hot, uh, uh, and then went at it again for another hour or two and went home and collapsed. Now, we're hardcore, all right? And uh, uh, our tradition is when we come together, usually around Thanksgiving, then we'll get lists from each other, we'll take each other shopping. Uh, sometimes as a family, we go out all together shopping. And we get what everybody wants, we purchase it, we put it under the tree. You can't have it yet, typically. We may make an exception here or there, but we put it under the tree. And you're right, because I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, that's a very anticlimactic for Christmas. It is, I get it, but everything fits. Everything's the right color. Everything's the right size. It's the right item. It's the right model. And there are no after Christmas line return lines. Yeah, so you have a different system. We have a different system. Yeah, so I've been, uh, mom's, of course, the worst person to get along with in the world. She never cooperates. And so I'm like, mom, you know, I've got everybody's list now. But we, so should we finally, I finally sat down and got her to make a list. You can bet it wasn't on an app, too. Uh, it's a stylus and a piece of granite, and she chiseled it. And... Uh, I'm just kidding, Mom. Uh, it's a, it a number two pencil and a scrap of paper out of the kitchen. And I'll tell you what it really was, and you all get a laugh out of this. It was actually a cornerstone pen that she stole from church. And I know why the rest of you didn't laugh, because you've stolen them too. 
And so I just want you to think about that for a minute. And so she made her Christmas list. And uh, she said, what I really want, and I, I know this about her, this is not a unique thing, this is the normal thing for her. She said, what I really want is you to take me shopping. And I get that, but I, and I can translate that, and that's a, we've got a relationship, and I know what that means, and it, it means about eight hours, is what it means. Uh, and uh, I know what it means, and uh, some of you are great at matching outfits, some of you are not, okay? And so the answer is no, I'm not going with you. You can't afford me. But because she's my mother, I will take her and, and uh, spend all day trying to match outfits and buy stuff and, and, and get, her, get, her, get her all outfitted. So I took her shopping. And, Mom, I hope this isn't too much. I took her shopping. And uh, we're all out as a family. Boys are with us, Mom, uh, Susan, and, and we're all out together. Uh, is this Black Friday? It was Black Friday, wasn't it? It's Black Friday. We're crazy. And we're out shopping. And eventually mom is taking so long that the boys and Susan went to Chick-fil-A and just left us, okay? And uh, they came back two hours later. We still weren't finished. And so I sent them on somewhere else. And, and anyway, so I'm at this marathon session with mom. We're working her list. Check, check, check. We got it. Okay, run back over to this store. No, there's no shoes that match. Okay, go there. Okay, check. All right, we got him. All right, check. And so we're working that list. And every time she deviated from her list, I'd reel her back in and say, no, it's not on your list. Uh, you got to stick to the list. Don't get distracted, you know. And, and uh, we grew up so poor that when we walk into any store, mom goes to the clearance rack. It's like a magnet to metal. I kid you not. And zip, ding, she's right at the clearance rack. And I'm like, Mom, it's winter. It's all short sleeve. You need sweaters. You know what I'm saying? Get out of the clearance section. Yeah, but there's some really good deals, you know. All right. So I've reeled her back in. You know, she's like a marlin on, on the line. And uh, I have some very interesting conversations when I'm out shopping because people are not accustomed to men being in the women's stores for three hours. And so... Uh, I had some very interesting conversations with clerks and grandmas and all kinds of people in the store. But typically the conversation goes like this. I've been seeing you stand over here helping your mother or your wife. My husband would never help me pick out clothes. Now when I hear a statement like that, I'm like, you guys are broken. If your wife would say, he has no idea what size I wear. He has no idea what shoe size I have. He has no idea what dress size I wear. And I just look at her with pity and said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. You married such a loser. You know, uh, I'm the pastor at Cornerstone. We offer counseling. Anyway, I have some fun with them. So this morning what I wanted to do is I'm going to preach here in a minute, but just let me have fun for a while. Uh, Let me help the marriages in our church with just some group counseling for a minute. Most of life is really about your attitude you get that it's really about your state of mind either you have an i can do it or i will do it or a, you know what i'm saying it's a lot of it's about if you're having some real difficulty in life part of the problem is you and and you need to be if you're struggling right now with finances with job with relationships with whatever it's not all on you probably but part of it is on you and you need to own that part that's on you and look in the mirror and say, okay, what about my attitude needs to, what, what do, I just need to maybe suck it up and get a better attitude 
and, and learn to this is the way life is and learn how to work, the, or work through the problems and deal with my coworkers and deal with... Listen, let me just give you a little group counseling. The world's full of difficult people. And the quicker you realize that you need to learn how to deal with difficult people, the better off you're going to be in life. You can go far in just about any career if you'd learn how to deal with difficult people. I tell you what, that's one of the secrets to moving up the food chain in the career. Learn to deal with difficult bosses. Learn to deal with difficult co-workers. And, and so what I'm saying this morning is sometimes mentally you just need to try a better approach and things will begin to change in your life. Let, let me help the, the women first of all this morning. Women, men never want to hear these words. Let's go try on some outfits. A man cannot process that sentence the way you think he processes it. When he hears those words, what his computer does is register these words. Hey, honey, let's go waste half a day in pure misery and come home empty-handed. That's what he processes. So you have to understand how to translate into language that he can get. So I want to help you. Try this instead. Honey, are you carrying... I'm talking about a weapon now, in case you don't know. You, people just moved in from California. We carry guns here. Honey, are you carrying? Yes, dear, why? Well, I have a few things. I've got a list that I'm not going to deviate from. I know exactly what I'm looking for. And I've got a list that I need to work through, and I need you to come to the store and watch out for me. And by the way, on my list, I, I, I want you to give me an opinion. I've got several uh, sexy outfits I have in mind. And then we can swing by Bucky's afterward, get you a new metal tumbler, maybe some beef jerky for the stockings. You say, you're kidding, right? I'm saying you need to learn how to talk to a man. And if you'll learn how to talk to a man, he'll respond in a different way. Now, it works both ways, but I've got a point of view because I'm a man, of course. Now, you've not heard of any terrorist attacks recently outside the wardrobing room of Banana Republic, Express, or Ann Taylor. And that's probably because a guy that looks like me has been standing there with a bunch of clothes on his arm and a bulge at his hip. There's not been an incident. It's been a very safe place to be. Men, when you get a list, think about it as a mission. Here is my mission, and I've got to get this done. All right, here we go. Compass, yeah, fire starter, pocket knife, GPS, store locator, coupons, <laughs> credit cards. All right, I'm ready to go. Hydration, a bottle of water, you know what I'm saying, a tumbler of iced tea, whatever your thing is. Approach things with a determination that we will find it, we will get it, and we will not fail. It's a mission that I'm going to accomplish. One of the things I love about what we're doing right now, I love the tradition that Christianity has influenced the entire world, that at this time of year everybody gives gifts. Why do they give gifts? They give gifts because their hearts are full of joy because God has sent the fixer. He has sent the king to fix the problem. For 4,000 years and 43 sermons of the Old Testament, God has been telling you, yeah, I know it's a mess, but I'm going to get it fixed. 
And finally, when God sends the fixer, the world erupts with such joy over Christmas that the world begins to give gifts to one another. It's all throughout the Bible. When they built the walls in Jerusalem, Nehemiah had them singing on the walls and dancing on the walls, and they gave gifts to one another. And they made food for their neighbors. And they shared with each other. Why? It's the expression of joy bubbling out of your life. We are, the whole world's about to erupt in singing and lights and gift giving. Why? Because God has sent the fixer to fix the mess. He sent the Savior into the world to deal with the problem man had and to give us a whole new reality. Now, I, I love gifts that reflect quality rather than quantity. You know, when your kids are little, little bitty, they like to open lots of presents. But as you start watching your kids age and develop, the presents will get fewer and way more expensive. Uh, in other words, they'll go from plastic toys to quality things that last a lifetime. With two grown boys now, my son's lists have definitely shifted. They're not asking for like, you know, here's 400 options. Here's three things and dad, you can't afford any of them. That's more what it looks like right now. But they are gifts that last. And I mean like last 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, or you'll be giving them to your kids. Uh, Many Cornerstone families are rethinking how we give to those we love. Not only are we thinking about the quality of gifts that we give, but we're thinking about the quality of the gift-giving-receiving experience. The experience is as important as the gift itself. And at Cornerstone, we need to champion the idea of giving experiences in, as well as gifts. Now, I've, I've talked about several of these thoughts in the past, and if you're a longtime Cornerstoner, then uh, you'll, you'll understand some of this. Sit down with the people you love and make a bucket list. Uh, if it's just you and your wife, or if it's you and the fam- however your family looks, sit down with those you love, tell your parents you want to make a bucket list, and sit down with the people you love and say, you know what, if we could, this is what we'd like to do. I'd like to go snow skiing. I'd like to learn how to, I'd like to go scuba dive. We'd like to go to the beach. Uh, we'd like to whatever. Uh, we'd just like to, you know, rent a cabin for three days and go to the lake and it just be the family. We We would like to you know, see the fall leaves change in, in New England at some point. We would like to, you know, shuck corn in Iowa. I don't know what your thing is, but, you know, you, sit down and make a, a, a family bucket list, and then every year tick one off. Make a list. You might even make it a thing where the family can see it, and then every year you start lining through them, and you start keeping track, or you put it in a journal or something where the family knows it's there, and when you see cool things, you write it, write it in there, and as you line them off, you feel like you're accomplishing something significant. According to a study done by Joshua Beaker, the average child in the developed world has over 200 toys, plays with no more than 12 per day. The average family gives or throws away 200 pounds of clothes a year. The average family in America throws away or gives away, on average, now is there anybody here who didn't give away or throw away 200 pounds of clothes? Is there anybody in here? 
if there is, then somebody in here gave away 400 pounds clothes. You see what I'm saying? So I'm not saying each person, but on per capita, that's the way it works out. So if you're like, no, I haven't gone through my closet in ages. Well, that means the rest of us are, 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 are going through stuff like this, consumerism. 54% of adults in the U.S. report being overwhelmed by clutter. 78% of those people overwhelmed by clutter have no idea how to overcome their clutter. Now, let me just say this. Maybe you live with a hoarder. Maybe you are a hoarder. Seek some help. Okay? Seek some help. If somebody in your family is a, is a hoarder, maybe you need to gather your family together and have an intervention and say, look, Dad, we're going to have to clean out this garage. Look, Mom, we're going to have to clean out this pantry. It's just gotten out of control. There's stuff in here that expired five years ago. You know? I'm just saying, as, as a family, you guys need to work together to overcome some of the struggles your family's dealing with. Storage facilities are the fastest growing real estate segment in the U.S. There's enough physical space in the storage facilities in America. There's 300 million Americans, by the way, uh, more than that. But there's enough space in storage facilities in America for every man, woman, and child to stand all at the same time in those facilities. That's a lot of storage. We store everybody in the United States somewhere in a storage facility. We have so much stuff that we spend on uh, on an average of lifetime. You'll spend 153 days searching for things you've lost. You'll spend 153 days in a lifetime searching for misplaced items. The average person loses up to nine items a day which averages to 198,000 items in a lifetime. You say, Pastor, what's your conclusion? We have too much stuff. We have too much stuff. According to research reported in the Journal of Psychological Science by a Cornell University professor, Thomas Gilovich, he concluded after doing this study that experiences provide more lasting happiness than material possessions. Say, Pastor, why are you pushing experiences? Because experiences make you happy and material possessions do not always make you happy. Or if they do, it's very temporary enjoyment and then you're ready to move on to the next thing. The Bible is 2,000 years ahead of this research paper out of Cornell. You say, how do you know? Because here's what Jesus said in Luke 12. Then Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Why? Because a life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. If the secret to a happy life was through receiving material possessions, then Jesus would have showered his disciples with material possessions so that they could live the abundant and joyous life. But Jesus did not shower them with material gifts. Instead, Jesus said, let's spend some time together. Let's walk together. Let's pray together. Let's go fishing. Let's sing together. Let's vacation together. Let's eat together. Let's break bread. Let's enjoy some fellowship together. Let's, let's invest in each other's in relationships so let's do some assessment this morning as we get this really going let me ask you this question i think it's really important 
you assess you. What do you want for your life? I mean, right now, where you are in your career, where you are in the stage of life, where you are with your family, where you are with your walk with God, what do you want for your life? I mean, if you had to sit down and write a sentence or two about, from where I am right now, here's what I want. What would that look like? What do you want from life? Because whatever you want from life, what you really mean if you're a follower of Christ is this is what you want to ask God for. This is your wish list. Here's what I want now. Here's what I would like in my life. Let me ask you another assessment question as we get going this morning. Does what you want align with what God wants for you? Now, happy is the person where those two things merge. Does what you want for your life, can you see that God's will merges with that and the two of you are in sync? And if not, if what you're wanting for your life is has you on a divergent path with God, what adjustments do you need to make to bring that back into the will of God this morning? Now, any proper telling of the Christmas story begins in the Old Testament. Just to read the New Testament and have that as your Bible without the Old is totally incomplete. The reason you have an Old and a New Testament, the case I've been building all year, is that the New Testament is like reading the last page of a book without having all the background material. You're like, oh gosh, they live happily ever after, but I don't know know who the characters are. I don't know what the drama is. I don't know what the tension in the story was. I don't know what the problem was, but obviously it must have gotten solved because, look, they're having a party at the end. To read the New Testament is just to read about the victory at the end, how God solved the problem. It's not to tell you about the problem that existed for 4,000 years and what went wrong with the whole human experiment. So the Old Testament has set the stage for us That God created us to be his living images and rule over his creation, but we rebelled against God. And when we rebelled against God, we tore heaven and earth apart. And we lost our divine vocation. And God says, I want a people who want to be my people. And I want to have a people for my own that will be my treasured possession. And the whole Old Testament is the story about how God went about getting his own people in a covenant relationship and they stayed in that covenant relationship and in that relationship God made promises to them that he was going to do certain things. Those promises were renewed and developed again at Mount Sinai. They were renewed and developed again with King David and now we're waiting for God to keep his promises and get us out of the mess that we have made for ourselves. Any proper telling of Christmas has to begin in the Old Testament. Which is why the gospel writers of the New Testament, Matthew and Luke, when they begin their telling of the Jesus story, they don't see it as a standalone story. They don't see it as a completely separate work. Both Matthew and Luke begin the telling of their stories with genealogies. Jesus is a descendant of Abraham, of David. You say, what are they doing? They're beginning the new part of the story by throwing a hook back to the old part of the story and saying, this only makes sense when you know that the person I'm about to tell you about is the descendant of Abraham, the descendant of David, of the tribe of Judah. This is the one everybody's been looking for. This 
is the ending. This is the climactic part of the story you've been waiting for. And that's precisely why Matthew and Luke begin with genealogies so that you, the reader, are understanding... Oh, wait. This is a continuation of the Old Testament story. It's not something separate. This is the end of the story. Christmas is God's way of restoring what we lost in Eden. Which is, think about Christmas for a minute, what it really means in the big picture. Christmas is the beginning of God setting all things right. Christmas is God's way of keeping all of the promises that He made in the Old Testament. Now, do you remember where we just left Prophet Malachi? And the people were disputing with God. And they said, where is God? Where is justice? Will, it, will, will things ever get better? The babe in the manger is God's answer to that question. The angels and the shepherds and the wise, this is God's answer to that question. He was telling them, hold your horses for a few minutes and let me develop the world through Alexander and Rome and let me get everything ready so that the, the world is ready for the Savior to come and I will do exactly what I promised I will do. The first Christmas was the launch of the last age. The first Christmas was the beginning of the end of the story. Christmas is the opening chapter of the last part of what God wanted to say to you in the Bible. It is the beginning of the new covenant that was promised in the Old Testament. Christmas is what will make the kingdom of God possible. Christmas is what will make... There, listen, there were millions of crosses. Jesus wasn't the only person Rome crucified. But Christmas is what will make the cross of Jesus mean something very unique and very meaningful in the history of the world. Christmas is God giving us the life that he always wanted us to have since the Garden of Eden. It is God saying, I'm going to help bring about a restoration. I'm going to give you new life. I'm going to give you the promise of resurrection. I'm going to give you life in Christ. I'm going to fill you with God's presence and power in the very person of the Holy Spirit. He's going to come in and live within you. He's going to empower you. We're going back. We're going to make things right. We're going to get things going. Justice will come. God's kingdom values are coming. God's kingdom is coming in the hearts of the people who will receive the king. And it will transform the world as it begins to spread. Now we've been studying the Old Testament. And we clearly see how the Old Testament uh, 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 people of Judah and Israel had lists about what they wanted for their future. If you'd said to them, what do you want? What's your list for the future look like from here? They would say, here's what we want. And they could definitely give you a list. And what we see is their list isn't that much different from ours, but their list was a little bit different than God's. Let me see if I can unpack this for you. Israel's list and God's list were similar, but they weren't quite in sync. Let me show you. Here's what Israel's list would have looked like. Hey, Israel, from where you are right now, what do you want life to look like going forward? 
And they would say, well, we want God to keep all of his promises. And here's what it would look like. I'm going to read from Ezekiel, another Old Testament prophet right now. Ezekiel, 14, uh, Ezekiel 34, verse 12. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. Israel wanted a strong warrior king that would rescue them from her enemies. Let me keep reading. I will bring them out from the nations, and I will gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountain of Israel, in the ravines, and in the settlements in the land. What Israel said is, we want a policy that will allow for open immigration. We want all Jews to be able to immigrate back into Israel, into the promised land, and freely live within our national borders. Verse 14, I will tend them in good pasture, and the, mountain, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. Israel, what do you want going forward? We want to live in prosperity. We know what it is to be hungry. We never want to be hungry again. We want to live in prosperity where no one goes hungry, where the economy is abounding with opportunity. Verse 16, I will search for the lost and I will bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong will I destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. They wanted justice. God's promising justice. And they're like, yes, that's what we want. We want health care for the sick. We want help for the weak. And we want liberty and justice for all. Verse number six, uh, 26. I will make them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. God's like, I can just bless the whole thing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. Some of you come from some rich uh, hymn traditions, right? Does that phrase look familiar to you? This is where they got the song, There shall be showers of blessing, oh, that today they might fall. God said, I have the ability, it's a metaphor, I will just pour out my blessings upon you like rain falling from the sky. Israel said, that, right there, God, that's what we want. You want to know about what I want from the future, God? I want showered with material blessings and prosperity. Verse 29, I will provide for them land renowned for its crops. With the richest, most fertile land in the world. These are agrarian societies, very tied to agriculture. We want, if you're saying we want to be the number one nation, then you want to be the number one in production of crops. And God says, I have the ability to provide for you a land renowned for its amber waves of grain. God said, I can do that. And they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. And how you stand in the international community is a big deal to the nations. And Israel said that right there, God, that's really what we want. We want Israel to be a land of abundance. We want a nation that is respected among the other nations. And right now, what you should be saying in your heart, well, that looks just like my list. That sounds just like America. In summary, Israel wanted border security, lower taxes, freedom, liberty, respect among the nations, prosperity, abundant food, and world peace. That's exactly what Americans want. And God's list doesn't look very different 
from our list on the surface, but God's list is vastly different in its ultimate goal. Let me see if I can explain. God's list for what He wants for your future will focus on relationships. when When Israel sent their list up, do you notice it was all material things? It was blessings this and crops that and safety this and status that. God said, yeah, I'm not against all of that and I can do that for you. But what about your pursuit of a relationship with me and my pursuit of a relationship with you? God is focusing on relationships. National security is a great thing. I want it. You want it. I pray that God always gives it to us. But God wants us to have eternal security which is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter number 5, some great verses on this. And this is the testimony that God has given to us eternal life. And this life, this eternal life, where can it be found? It's in His Son. So verse 12 says, Whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. But we want to live in a peaceful place. We, we, we want to live in a, a socially peaceful place, a nationally peaceful place. And God wants you living wherever you are, saturated in the peace that passes all understanding. Now I'm hoping you're seeing the difference between those two things. Because you and I are not always going to be in a peaceful surrounding environment. Sometimes you're going to be thrown into the middle of a dispute or the middle of a crisis, or the middle of a a disaster, or the middle of a storm, or a tornado, or a hurricane, or or, or a hospital waiting room, and you're not always going to be in peaceful circumstances. And what God says is, I want you to have a peace that's inward, that comes through a relationship with me. And you may be praying, God, give us world peace. And God's saying, yes, okay, I get that, but, but what about inward peace? What about pillow your head at night, peace, knowing that even if the world's in chaos, I'm resting in God's hands. I'm eternally secure. My sins are forgiven. God's never going to leave me nor forsake me. And God's going to fix these things eventually. I believe that citizenship is a big deal. I'm very proud of my U.S. citizenship. But I'm even more proud of Another citizenship that Jesus came to give me, which was citizenship in the kingdom of God. When there is no America left, I will still be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Think about that for a minute. You say, well, there will always be America. History says there won't be. History says there won't be. Okay? But you will always be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and it can never be stripped from you. Because it's written in the book. It's in the chronicles of heaven. The blood of Jesus Christ has sealed it. And it is done. And your sins are forgiven. Now do you see how God's list is just slightly different than ours? It's a little bigger in quality and it's a little grander in its concept. Prosperity is wonderful. I want to live in it. Do you? I mean, wouldn't you like a nicer car, even though you've got a nice one, or a nicer this, or a little better that? Or yeah, sure you would. Would anybody here uh, want a little bigger paycheck if if it were possible? Well, sure we would. 
Well, absolutely we would. And Jesus said, okay, and I get that. And, the, and he said, the people of my own generation want that. But he said, I also want you to be concerned about the fact that your life bears spiritual fruit. Not just is your career bearing material fruit. You're going to do that. You guys are top performers. You're going to excel in your careers. Material things are going to come. And God's saying, but there's more to life than just that. Enjoy that. You've earned it. God's not against that. It's not one or the other. I don't have to preach against materialism this morning in order to preach about a spiritual walk with God that bears eternal fruit. They can be, uh, they can exist in the same moment, in the same plane, in the same person. They're not mutually exclusive. As a matter of fact, sometimes they go together hand in hand. I'm just thinking about those Chick-fil-A people all the time. I mean, they're selling some chicken, folks. That's a group of believers in a family-owned company with Christian values, and God is pouring it on them. I mean just pouring the blessings on that company and that family. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. Now, you may be going through a hard time, and this may be really hard to hear this morning, Find out what God's trying to teach you and let's close this chapter and move on to the next one, okay? If you're struggling financially, all right, let's get that going in a better direction. Get some counseling on that. Get it going in a, and then turn the chapter on this. Learn the lessons you need to learn because God's not trying to keep you poor. He wants to bless you, but he also wants spiritual fruit to come from your life. I think, and I'm not a prosperity preacher in that sense that the America and Joel Osteen and all of that. But I, I do think God wants to bless you. I do think that. And I do think God's people are some of the most blessed people on planet earth. I think God wants to bless you. But here's my little understanding. is my, my deviation from prosperity preaching. I think the reason that God wants to bless you is so that you can be a blessing to others. I think God wants to pour something out on you and in you and through you He wants to bless you so that you'll use your wealth for the kingdom of God so that you can become a distribution point of his grace. You say, well, what about my need? Oh, God's going to take care of you. The question is, are you going to be a conduit of that? Jesus is obviously the central figure of Christmas. We know that. When Jesus gets on his knees, he's about ready to go to heaven. He's about ready to leave this earth. The night he's arrested, he gets on his knees and he prays over his disciples. The whole thing is a discipleship prayer. And he said, I'm praying for my disciples. And if you really want to know what God's heart is for you, here comes Jesus' wish list for his disciples. Let me read it to you. I will remain in the world no longer, John 17, 11. Now he's on his knees praying. Father, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, his disciples. And Father, I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. What's God's wish list for your life? God, what do you want my life to look like going forward from here? Here's what God would say, that we would live in oneness with God. God said, I want you to be in this relationship where we are one. John 17, 20. My prayer is not for them alone, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, 
ladies and gentlemen, that's you. The night before Jesus dies, he's on his knees praying for the people who will come and who will eventually believe on the apostles' message. That's you. Jesus personally prayed for you. And what did he pray for you? Verse 21. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. When Jesus prays that prayer over you and over his disciples, he's expressing this desire. Father, may we be a continual relationship. May we be one. May we always be talking to them. May they always be talking to us. May we constantly be in a relationship. You know what your relationship with your spouse looks like. You know what your relationship with your parents or kids looks like. You're constantly talking. You're constantly interacting. You're constantly seeing each other. You're constantly having this fellowship. God said that. 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 That's what I want. I want this oneness with my people. Jesus keeps praying. Verse 13. He says, I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy in them. If you were to ask Jesus this morning, get on your knees and say, God, what do you want for my life going forward? He would say, I want you to be one with me and I want you to have joy. If you are unhappy and miserable and sad and pessimistic, that's not God's doing. He's not putting that in your in your mind god wants you to be filled with joy and hope and optimism he wants you to cling to the fact that god will work it out even if you're going through something very tough this morning god's got you it's going to be okay you're going through a transition it's going to work out you say why because you're god's child well it didn't work out for sally listen but you're god's child yeah, but Billy, stop comparing yourself to other people. You're my unique child, and I'm going to work it out for you, and I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm always with you, but I want you to be one with me, and I want you to have joy. There's nothing as... Let me ask you this. Do you think God wants us to spread his kingdom? Pessimism won't spread it. If God's people are miserable, that won't spread it. Josh, you know what will make people want to have what you have? Joy optimism, hope, that, that effervescence bubbling out of your life. And people are looking and saying, that's what I want. That right there. What is that? I want that. I want that optimism, that eternal hope. You say, well, that's something God's doing in my life. I wasn't always an optimistic person, but God's beginning to change some of my attitudes, and I'm bringing my attitudes in line with what He wants for me. Jesus keeps praying, verse 15. My prayer is not that you would take them out <laughs> of this world. But you understand how you would have to make an exit, right? Either by a rapture or, you know what I'm saying. God, uh, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world. Listen, uh, a lot of people are very confused about what heaven is and about what the long-term future is here. Escaping this world is not God's plan for your life. You being firmly in this world is God's plan for your life. And he wants you to change the world by your mission down here. He has, he has you here to colonize this for planet, planet Earth for Jesus. You're here to plant a flag for the kingdom of God and to make as many disciples as you can make till the Lord returns. 
You're not going to fly away to heaven when you die and live there for eternity. Are you shocked at that? It's not what the Bible teaches. If you died today, you would go to heaven if you're a believer. But you're not going to live there for eternity. That's not what the Bible's teaching. Jesus is going to return and there's going to be a resurrection and you're going to re-inhabit a body. You, you get that, right? You get a new body and where's that body going to live? On a renewed earth. That's the story the Bible's telling. Heaven and earth are going to reunite in that moment. I saw New Jerusalem coming down to earth. Uh, Jesus said, pray this way. Your kingdom come here. Your will be done here as it is in heaven. This is, the, this is the mission we have before us. And God said, I want you to be one with me. I want you to have a life filled with joy. Listen, I don't want to take you out of this world. Father, don't take them out of this world, but protect them from the evil one. So what God wants is he, he, you're right where he wants you. Hopefully doing exactly what he wants you to do. And Jesus' prayer for you is, Father, keep them from evil. Now, we all know there's evil in this world, right? It's real. It's real. There's a real battle going on between good and evil. And God said, I want my people under your protection at all times, Father. I want them filled with your spirit in a hostile environment, making disciples for the kingdom of God. And God, don't take them out. I mean, it could be like, hey, are you ready to be baptized? Steve, you received Christ. You ready for baptism? Great. Steve, have you received Christ? I'm baptizing you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as soon as you stand up, there he went. There he went. Now, God could have done it that way. But God filled this planet with baptized believers to make disciples for the kingdom of God. You're right where he wants you. And he's praying over you, saying, Father, keep them from evil. Then he goes on. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. You know, it sure sounds like God doesn't want us divided. And it sure sounds like God doesn't want us divided from him or from each other. Us and them Jesus and God, God and Jesus, them and us, all to just complete unity together. Then the world will know that you sent me and that I have loved them even as you love me. If you were to say, God, what do you want for us going forward? What's your Christmas list for us? Well, of course, he wants you saved. That's a given. He wants you in a functioning church family. That's a given. But here's what he wants. He wants oneness relationship. He wants joy. He wants you to be protected. He, he wants further, verse 24, to share experiences going forward with you. This is why I talk about making a bucket list and sharing some experiences with people you love. Listen to Jesus' prayer. Father, I want those you gave me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus says, Father, in the long run, I don't want to be separated from my people. I want to be together with them. That's my prayer for those I love. One, you say, why don't families come together at Christmas and Thanksgiving? 
oneness, unity with people you love. It's a very interesting phenomenon happened to us when we became empty nesters and our kids started then coming home for the holidays, something we'd never experienced so we got to this stage of life. There is a, uh, Alan, there's, there's a unique feeling now when your kids all come back under your roof and you are one. They're out. Okay, they're all back. Now, you may want to kick them out again later, and you may want to kick a few out right now. I don't know, but there's a certain good feeling of, what is that? You guys know what I'm talking about? When everybody's there, and you're just there, what is that feeling? It's, It's some kind of oneness, some kind of unity, some kind of we feel safe. There's mom, there's the girls, there's their husbands, we're all together. There's just something that feels safe. Uh, and there's old dad over there with his gray hair. It just feels safe. And it feels like we're a family and we're together. Jesus said that right there. That's what I want for you. And you know what? That's a little bit what happens here every Sunday morning. It's a little bit of Thanksgiving. It's a little bit of Christmas. It's a little bit of, well, we talk about generational family worship. It's just families coming together because we are a family. You know, your kids will grow up and have their own families, but you still want to come together as one family. And so that's really what's happening here for worship. So here's what I'm saying this morning. When God looks at our wish list, it's not that we're asking for bad things. I think y'all are good, mature Christians pursuing God, and I'm sure you're asking for all the right things. But sometimes God needs to make little adjustments to what you're praying for what you're wishing for, what you're pursuing with your life. And I do know this about God. God is all about quality. And sometimes when I pray and sometimes when you pray and sometimes when we pursue things, we don't always pursue or ask for quality. Sometimes we ask for a good thing but not the best thing. And you'll see often that like you pray, I want to marry this girl and now you're glad you didn't. God gave you an upgrade, didn't he? Now you've heard me talk about God's upgrades. I want to talk about it a little bit right here. Or woman, you said, gosh, when you're 17 and you think you're in love with, you know, your dream man, you're glad now you did, he's a bum. You're glad you didn't marry him. And you're glad God had something better for you. Now, some of you did marry your childhood sweetheart, and that's okay. He turned out to be a great guy. You did good, okay? Uh, Krista did good, all right. But what I'm saying is sometimes we ask for, oh, if I don't get this house, we put a contract on it, we'll just die if it falls through. And it fell through. And now you live in a better place, and aren't you glad it fell through? Oh, if I don't get this job, it'll be the end of the world for me. And you don't get it. But a month later, you get your dream job. And you're really happy now, six months later. And you're earning well, and you're being promoted, and God's redirected your career, Christy. And and just let him do it. Just let him do it. Because God loves you, and he wants the best for you. Now, you've got to put in the work. There's no doubt about that. But sometimes we don't see, obviously, we're not omnipotent. We don't see the biggest picture. And so we ask, and the New Testament people felt this too, because they talked about we pray and we don't always know what to ask for, but the Holy Spirit kind of translates our prayer and God gives us, you know, then well, he knows how to answer our prayers even if the prayer is not perfect. So here's what I want to say to you right at this point in the sermon. I'm almost done, so bear with me. Don't. Some people don't pray because they don't know how to pray. They, don't, what, don't, they can't find the words. Don't let that stop you. That's what I want to say. Just because you can't figure out the right words to ask God, don't stop asking God. Okay? So I would tell you what the pastor does. 
I get down on my knees and I say, God, I don't know what to say right now, so I'm going to muddle through this. And it's not going to be graceful or elegant. But God, you really know what I need and what I'm asking for right now. So God, just put this in Google Translate and Holy Spirit it right on up. And you know, you know what I'm saying, God. I, I don't even know how to say this, but God, I don't even know how to express what I feel. And I just try to muddle through it. Now, right now, you should be saying, oh, I thought I was the only one. That's the way all Christians feel. There are times where you don't have the words, press on, friend. Talk to God. He wants to be one with you, which means he wants to have this exchange with you. And listen, if your kid came to you because they wanted to say something to you and they didn't know how to say it to you, what would you do? I mean, if Bailey came to her uncle and said, Uncle, I want to talk to you about something, but I don't really know how to say it, I would, I would help her. I said, well, what's going on? I would ask questions. I would say, well, you know, and we would talk it out. I would meet her in the middle. Does that make sense? And I would turn it into, I'd pull it out of her in a graceful way. Do you understand that's what God's doing with your butchered prayer? (laughs) He's meeting you. And you're saying, God, okay, I'm messing this all up, God. He's saying, no, it's okay. Talk to me. God wants oneness with you. He wants relationship. He wants joy in you. He wants to protect you. He wants the best for you. That's on his wish list. I've already read it. John 17. I know it's there. So just talk it out with God. He's all about quality. And even if you don't ask for the best thing, God knows how to give you the best thing. Just ask. Let me give you some illustrations that you'll understand. When I was a kid, and and I'm going to turn some of you off, I get that. But when I was a kid, we didn't have computers. We didn't have smartphones. We had Sears and JCPenney catalog. I don't even know what that is. But it's like this big book full of pictures. And the stores which were Penny's and Sears were two of the biggest companies in America in those days. There weren't the stores you even have today. They didn't even exist. And so every year, Sears and Penny's would send to the whole world these two catalogs, Sears catalog and a Penny's catalog. They're thick as phone books, but you don't know what a phone book is. (laughs) So they were this thick, okay? And there was a section of men's clothes and women's clothes and children's clothes. There was a section of toys, a massive catalog of toys, okay? And there were tools, and there were shoes. That catalog had everything. It's like Amazon in a book. (laughs) And so as a kid, uh, when it got close to the holidays, you would go get the Pennies or Sears catalog. And your parents might even say, hey, go through and pick out some things. And you'd open it, and you'd start circling with a ballpoint pen and dog-earing pages, and you would have all these things. You know? And so, let me just say it this way. You would be seeing TV commercials about Stretch Armstrongs and Evil Knievels, and, and it's all kinds of country songs, I know, but I, I lived it. And, uh, and it's a country song, too, but I did. And, uh, and you would be seeing all of this on TV, and the kids' cartoons and stuff, and so you'd be finding that in the book, circling it. I want one of these. It's going to be the coolest thing ever, you know. And so now that your parents, here's what you write. Your kids are asking for something that's like $39.99, which is not cheap, 40 bucks. And they're saying, I want this toy. And you go down to Walmart now and look at it. And you're like, this is the biggest piece of junk from China I've ever seen. This is just a plastic piece of junk and it'll be broken. My kid can destroy this in like five minutes. Now, have anybody ever thought that way? My kid can destroy this. Susan buys dog toys for Christmas for our dogs and the grand puppy in Austin. And I'm, she'll have some, I'm like, the dog will destroy that in 30 seconds. 
I mean, he will rip the eyes off, pull the squeaker out, have the stuffing out of that. It will be shredded in the living room in five minutes. She's like, I know, isn't it great? (laughs) There goes 20 bucks right there. Okay, I don't know what to do. So your kid will come to you and say, oh, I want this toy. You're going to live this. Let me talk to Daniel and Christy here. Your kids are going to say, yeah, we want this toy. It's thirty nine ninety nine. It's going to be the coolest thing. It's going to change my life. You look at it and say, what a piece of junk. They're going to play for this for like five minutes, and they're never going to pick it up again. They just saw it, got in the hype of a Christmas ad, or heard some other kid talk about it. Now they think they, they've got to have it. So mom and dad are at the toy store, and they're looking at this piece of junk, and they're saying, there's no way. We're going to blow 40 bucks on this. They won't play with it five minutes. So instead, mom and dad spend time in the store choosing something better. Lasting, something they're going to play with for a long time. And then when they open it on Christmas, no, they didn't get the thing they asked for. They got something better. Mom and dad gave them an upgrade. My mom was carrying a cheap plastic purse for years. Probably bought it at Goodwill. You're not that poor, by the way, Mom. Uh, She needed a new purse. It was on her Christmas list. So she asked for another, you know, $7.99 purse so Andrew and I found some 60% off deals with an additional 20% off and then Andrew and I researched a couple of stores and we took her to the coach store and we made a substitution to her list upgrade several of the best gifts that I ever received I received from disciples Uh, one year I got a custom-made AR-15 as a gift. Now, you want to know what a guy wants to get for Christmas? That's what a guy wants to get for Christmas with a red dot sight and two magazines and a tactical strap in a hard case. You know what that'll set you back, Matt. And he made it with his own hands, the whole thing. And it is a, a work of art. I'll never sell it. I haven't shot it yet even. I'll never sell it. I'll pass it to my boys and hopefully they'll pass it to theirs. One of the best gifts I ever got. Because I got it from someone I love. And someone who loves me and it's quality. One, one year I received a really, really nice wallet as a gift. I kept it in a drawer for a year because it was so nice. I said to myself, I don't want to wear it. If you've got a wallet, guys, and you wear it here, you know what it looks like after about a six months. It's, you know, and it's got all the card imprints are in the wallet, and the stitching starts to fray and all of this. And so I wouldn't carry it for a year because I, I, I just wanted to open the drawer and smell of the leather, you know, and touch it and put it back in, you know, in its safe place, you know. And then one day I'm like, okay, don't be silly. Uh, start, start carrying. So I loaded it full of stuff, and I started carrying that, that really nice wallet It's dear to me because it's quality and somebody who loves me gave it to me and I love them. Never carried it for two years, doesn't show any signs of wear because it's quality. I've told you this before and I think Spencer and I have talked a lot about this. Never give your kids a cheap baseball glove or a softball glove. If they ask for a glove, you go get them a good one. You say, well, they're expensive. They'll have it their entire childhood. If your kids ask for a bicycle, it's very likely they'll ride that bike until they're a teenager or 
if they're a teenager now, they'll ride it. They'll take it to college with them if you buy the right one. Okay? Think about quality. Think about gifts that last, that are enduring. And my point to you on a spiritual level is simply this. Many times God's children are asking for things that are inferior to what God really wants to give us. So in God's goodness and in God's grace, He has better options for us. And sometimes we get mad because God says no and doesn't answer our prayer the way we want Him to answer it. You've got to know He's working out something better for you. You say, well, did you get the bike you wanted for Christmas? No. I got a jet ski and a motorcycle. You know what I'm saying? Well, did you get the job, God, that you were applying for? No, but I have the faith that next month I'm going to land the, my dream job. You say, why? Because there's a God in heaven who loves his kids. That's why. And he wants oneness, and he wants joy, and he wants us to, to, to spread his kingdom message. And God wants to bless me, and I want to be a blessing. So let me just sum it up. When, when God makes a substitution, it will always be an upgrade. Whatever you're praying and whatever you're asking God for, He may likely substitute what you're asking for. But you have to have the faith in God that when He makes the substitution, I just want to, if I don't get in this college, I'm going to die. You're going to be saying that one day, Maggie. If I don't get in this college, I'm going to die. I've got to get into A&M because, you know, the legacy here. Listen, if there's a shot, you may not get in. That's real. I mean, it's real. It's not because you're dumb. I'm just saying it's real. Uh, you may not get in. So here's what you'll have to know in that moment. Whatever happens, it's going to work out for your benefit because God's got you. Because the husband he wants you to have is not in College Station. They're in Norman. Not so much. Or it's just too early for husband talk, okay. All right. But you understand what I'm saying, though. We have to learn to trust God all over again as adults and young adults. And not, you didn't answer my prayer the way. No, let God do what God only can do. And if he substitutes on your list, you have to know in your heart that the person he has in your life right now was way better than the person you thought you wanted. What God's doing now is way better than where your life would have gone without God. There were many in Israel who were so fixated on what they wanted their Messiah to be that when Jesus showed up, he didn't look like their list. This is part of the Christmas story. Jesus came. Wise men show up here next week or so. and They're going to say, where is he? And Israel's going to say, who? Are you talking about God, God sent the fixer. The king is here. The kingdom of God's about to break out. You know anything about it? You say, why? Because the kingdom of God and, and the king of God didn't look like what was on their list. They thought he was inferior to their list. He was actually a humongous upgrade. And they didn't realize it in the moment. Spiritual transformation is happening when we closely align ourselves with God. When you're looking at how you want your life to go, and God is looking at how he wants your life to go, you have to make sure that those two paths are the same path. And if you're on a different path this morning, my closing is simply this. Start bringing your thoughts and your decisions and your attitudes in line with the Spirit of God. 
The Spirit of God is speaking to you. He wants you to have joy. He wants to be one. He wants relationship. He wants fellowship. He wants your life to bear spiritual fruit. That's on God's Christmas list. Let me ask you a question. Have, I mean, we're almost here now. At what point are you going to get on your knees and say, God, what do you want for Christmas? Have you got everybody else's list? Have you, I guess Erica would tell us all of her family's registered on giftful or giftsy or gifted or gi- whatever. You got everybody else's list is what I'm saying. Have you got God's? This is that moment of guilt right here, isn't it? You're like, I hadn't thought to ask. Well, whose birthday is it? My, how God's people overlook the obvious sometimes. Had a very interesting text exchange this week. I preached about giving last week uh, a little bit with Malachi about how if you don't give, if it doesn't mean anything to you, it doesn't mean anything to God. And they were offering, you know, like three-legged sheep and cross-eyed sheep and blind sheep and buck-teeth sheep. And I don't know if there is such a thing, but the broken sheep. And God was like, give those to the governor and see if he likes them. Give me some respect. We talked about God, giving God your best. I got a, a, let me close with this. I got a wild text. It was late at night. And uh, let's see if I've got it here on my iPad. Text came in late at night. It was one of our church members. Said, are you, are you up? I want to tell you something. I said, yeah, I'm here. I, I, I'm just driving home just a few minutes ago. And God and I were talking on my way home. And I said, God, what do you want me to give you for your birthday gift? And she said, and then in a few minutes, God spoke to me and he said, I'll, I'll take your paycheck. That seems like an extravagant and awesome gift. Thank you. I appreciate that. And there was a moment of silence, and she said, okay. You got it. And then she said, and then God said to me, and your regular tithe too. Silence. She said, yes. The answer is yes, Lord, if that's what you want me to give. That means a lot to me. And when I give it to you, I hope it means a lot to you. That's where the cornerstone people are right now. She said, Pastor, I just wanted you to know that God's speaking to me, and my answer is yes. I'm going to share this with you because I feel like God wanted me to share it with you. And I'm glad she shared it with me. Does that challenge you? That challenges me. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask you very quietly just to stand to your feet. Some may want to come and pray and it would be easier for them to get out of their seat. Just stand quietly where you are. Jeremy's going to come and play just for a moment. Here's the challenge of this invitation. If you could ask God for anything, what would you ask for? The Bible says you have not because you ask not. 
why don't you get on your knees this morning and ask? We're all just one big family. There's never anything to be embarrassed about in this room on a Sunday. If I wasn't up here preaching right now, I'd be down on my knees because I got a list a mile long. What do you need to ask God for this morning? Okay, come and ask. You're in the house of God and you're God's child. Slip out of your seat and come and ask. Get down on your knees and humble yourself before God and say, God, see your child. Here's what I need. I need this house to get built. I need this promotion to come. Lord, I have anxiety bubbling up. I'm overwhelmed with life. I need peace. I need... Pour it out right now. Just tell him. You have not because you ask not, he said. So let's ask. Now while you're asking, ask big. You're talking to the king of kings. Ask big. Ask for quality. While you're praying this morning, you might say, God, if what I'm asking for is not what you want for me, then give me a heart to want what you want for me. Clean this messy prayer up and give me what you know I need. Because I know if you substitute, it's always going to be an upgrade. And I want your richest blessings in my life and on my family and on this church. God, let the showers of blessings fall on us this morning. For some of you, it's emotional, it's mental. Nerves are frayed. Emotions are overloaded. Breakers are flipping internally. Anxiety is just incredible. Okay, ask God. Give me peace, God. Teach me to breathe through it. Knowing that you've got me. That everything's going to get done and everything's going to be fine. God, I know you've got me. Give me peace. If you're a pessimist, pray yourself out of it this morning. If you don't have joy, ask for joy. Say, God, I've been feeling kind of depressed for a while. I, I don't want I don't want this. God, break this. I, I need joy. I need peace. I need hope. I don't even want to be around myself. God, you've got to change some things in me. Help me to come in line with everything you want to do for me. None of it's possible without a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's all these blessings are coming through Christ. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior this morning, you just slip out of your seat and come forward and someone will just pray with you right now and you just receive Christ as your Savior. God loves to give things to his children. I love to give things to my children. I can't imagine how God must love to give us good things. A little happy dance and a clap of the hands and joyful celebration. Every time something good comes into your life, James said every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. 
If you're the recipient of that generosity, write a little thank you note in your heart this morning and send it right up in a prayer. Father, your people bowed before you this morning are so overwhelmed with your grace and your generosity. The quality of life that you brought us through the Christmas story. Lord, if it weren't for Jesus, we'd have no quality of life. We've we've read the Old Testament. We see the slavery. We see the women abused. We see nations crushed by other nations violently. We see the torture. We see the slaughter. We see the ethnic cleansing. It's right on the pages of our Bible. And Father, we've read the history books. We know all about the past. It's horrible. We'd have no quality of life if it hadn't been, God, for you sending someone to fix this mess. God, thank you for Christmas. And God, that's really not the right way to say it, so help me clean it up a little bit. God, thank you for Christ of Christmas. Thank you for sending Jesus to fix the human problem. Thank you for the kingdom of God being open to us. Thank you, God, that you didn't want to keep your family small and Jewish. But you wanted your family to be international and you opened it up for our adoption. God, thank you for that. Your children this morning honor you and rejoice in your generosity and your goodness. You are a kind and gracious Father to us. Thank you for all you do. Father, open the windows of heaven and pour out a material blessing on these people gathered before you this morning. Father, pour out your emotional peace, security, love, contentment on the emotions of these people. Father, pour out your hope and your kindness and your love that we would be so confident in Christ that we know you have our best interests, Lord, that we'd be willing to take risks for the kingdom of God without any fear this week. Father, thank you for the challenges of some very quiet people in the church who get no notoriety but have incredible faith and listen to your voice and challenge the rest of us to do likewise. Father, when we've given all we can give materially, we've not really given the biggest thing, which is our own hearts and lives to you. So this morning, we rededicate ourselves to you this week. Whatever we can do for you, whatever we can do this week to promote the kingdom of God, whatever we can do to reflect you to our coworkers and our classmates and to our community, our answer is, yes, we'll do it, Lord. Help us in that moment. In Jesus' name we pray.